I talk about every topic that your grandmother told you you are not supposed to talk about. That is all I talk about. I use a combination of a sense of humor and storytelling, and I really appreciate the word invitation. Welcome to the People People Podcast. We're on a mission to spread human connection. Welcome to the People People Podcast. This is Matt Matson, your host. Thanks for joining us. Excited to dive into this episode. It's an interview with my friend Jessica Pettit. Jessica wrote a book called Good Enough Now. You can find all the information you want to know about her at goodenoughnow.com. She's a social justice speaker, a speaker on diversity and inclusiveness. And I love the way that she does it. She talks about it as a subliminal approach to diversity training. She is definitely not your typical diversity speaker. She's a comedian and she's really funny on this interview. I have a lot of fun in our conversations. Jessica actually helped review our social excellence book. She actually contributed to a section of the social excellence book. She's really familiar with the message. And I love that because she and I can have deep, real conversations about, you know, this simple idea of how do we connect with other people, even though there are difficult conversations that need to be had? How do we talk to people about the things that are hard to talk about? Specifically, how do we talk about differences? How do we talk about race and class and sexual identity and gender identity? And how do we talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about? Did I even use the right words right there when I was talking about that? I don't know. And that's part of the reason it's hard to talk about it. And anyway, Jess and I get into that conversation during this interview. Fun conversation. Hey, I know you're out there trying as hard as you can. You're out there trying to connect with people, trying to learn, trying to be curious, generous, authentic, and vulnerable with everybody you encounter in your life because you recognize that everybody you encounter in your life has something to teach you, that we all show up to every interaction with a lifetime full of of moments of pain and moments of joy and moments of sorrow and loss and moments of happiness and wonderment. And, And we show up with like a whole lifetime full of stories and lessons to teach each other. And the trick is... Are we smart enough, brave enough, courageous enough to dig in, to connect, and to try and learn those things, to try and gain those things from other people so that we might be able to get better? You know, Jess talks a lot in this episode about about self-work, about how social justice work really isn't about the other. It's about us. It's about what we have going on inside, our baggage, and our potential. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the episode. And thanks for joining the People People Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the People People Podcast. This is your host, Matt Matson. I am joined today by a good friend, Jessica Pettit. Jessica is the author of a book called Good Enough Now. She's a speaker. She's an educator. She's a, I don't know, what else are you? You're a facilitator. You're an MC. You're a consultant. You're obviously an author. You're fun. You're a nice human being. Jessica, how do you introduce yourself? A uh, cheese lover. Yeah, cheese is good. Cheese. What, <laughs> what's the most magical moment you've ever had involving cheese? Man, the most magical moment. I'm going to say the first time I ordered nachos and there was cheese on the inside of the nachos, what? not just on top of the nachos. What? So, this- like, a, like a chef was thoughtful enough. First off, I'm using the word chef yeah. at a restaurant that serves nachos. Yeah. Let's just... Let's announce that. Okay, so the chef, I'm using air quotes, was thoughtful enough and or a stoner enough to know 
that just putting the stuff on the top of the nachos does not get the underbelly chips. Oh, what, and I, what a what an artisan in the kitchen that chef must have been to put the yeah. not, to put the cheese right inside it within uh, the layers. Right, it's a layered yeah. nacho. Excellent answer. That's an excellent answer to that question. Because what made it so magical was that I had not noticed the terrible architectural plans of prior nachos mm. until I reached cheese magic. Yeah. And then it, then nachos are forever different. And now when I order nachos, because I'm in those kind of restaurants a lot, they have to go ask the kitchen, do you put the stuff in the middle or only at the top? You've been on, you've been interviewed on a lot of podcasts. Have you been interviewed on a nacho specific podcast? I have not been interviewed on a nacho specific podcast. However, when this releases, I believe my future will change. Yeah, I think so too. So Jess, you're featured in our book on social excellence. You, uh, you wrote a section of it. You also were, I think, our first and primary reviewer of that book. You're familiar with this message. And I think you find application in the idea of social excellence in your work as what's the phrase that you like to use? You're not, not a typical diversity trainer. Yeah, the language around diversity, inclusion, social justice, all that stuff is constantly changing. But that umbrella of terms is what I do. And when I was, I think I was the first reviewer. And if I remember correctly, you were surprised that I actually like printed the thing out and wrote all over it. Yeah. But I would, I do that all the time. Anytime someone sends me a book and complete honesty, when I opened that book, I read a how-to community organizing, social change, activism guideline and completely dove in and completely fell in love with the concept because if people aren't into connecting with people in their most socially excellent way, no one wants to work there. No one wants to join there. No one wants to renew. No one wants to attend. No one cares. Yeah. And I fell in love. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've loved the conversations you and I have had about sort of the, the cross. Yeah, I, I think when, when you first read that book and like you, you sent me a note, I don't know if it was a text or an email or something, but you sent me a note that was like, hey, this book on social excellence, this is social justice work. And mm -hmm. like, I still remember that to this day and I was struck by it because I didn't know that <laughs> or, or I like it made me look at our work differently. I certainly didn't approach our work that way until you made that comment and it opened me up to a new way of looking at a way that we could serve people. So I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast was it's hard right now to talk about social justice issues. I don't even like to say the word, the phrase social justice anymore because it's hard to even talk about talking about it. And you do it for a living and I want to know how. Like I want to know how, because it seems to me like the way that you do it for a living is not, is, is, is with an open door, not a closed door, is with an invitation, not, not, not sort of exclusion. Um, and I, I want to know how you do that. I, I really want to get inside your head. I want to get inside some of the best conversations you're having, some of the best work that you're doing in that area. Let's get inside the nachos. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. 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 Is, is social justice anything like layered cheese nachos? Um, could be. Certainly complicated. But now we could be slippery sloping into the melting pot or salad metaphors. Oh. So I don't want to do that. All right. Let's, All right. let's just keep the nachos between you and me. Okay. Fair enough. So 
full disclosure, your this book is a social justice book. Also, I think you know this, but maybe not. But when uh, the books were first printed, I got five copies Mm -hmm. of which I immediately took to a conference I was speaking at. And I gave copies to Cornell West, Tim Wise, and I believe Francis Kindle, Mm -hmm. who are my social justice like mentors, people I look up to. And I kept one for myself. But what I think is the key, so the work that I do for the audiences listening that doesn't know me, look me up, Google. I talk about every topic that your grandmother told you you are not supposed to talk about. That is all I talk about. I use a combination of a sense of humor and storytelling, and I really appreciate the word invitation. It's interesting, as as I'm building my own business, The word invitation has come up three different times in the last couple of months. Hmm. And that's a new, a new thing for me to hear. I don't know if it's new to be said to me, but it's, it's landing and I'm liking it because if we don't encourage people to join us in these conversations, nothing is going to change. I don't know if anyone's noticed, but no matter how right you are, being angry about it and yelling about it is not a good recruitment tool. Yeah. And some people are really angry. And so yelling is is living right now. So it's not a recruitment tool. It's trying to be seen and heard. That is also true and real. So when I do social justice work, the idea of being able to talk about the most controversial difficult, challenging. Um, Nowadays, people use the word divisive, polarizing, tribal lines, if we want to use misappropriation language. Those topics, you cannot do it successfully without a genuine sense of curiosity, without generosity, without vulnerability, and without being authentic. You cannot do it. And those are the four pillars that completely guide my conversations. The yelling is not a good recruitment tactic. That that hits me so hard, right? Like, like I, I just I find myself nodding, you know, really emphatically, and yes, yes, yes. But I also recognize the sort of the privilege of that nod, right? Like, it's easy for me to say that. Gosh, stop yelling! You know, stop shouting! It won't be very effective. That's easy right. for me to say, and I. You're you're not inside of a cage right now, or possibly worrying that your marriage is going to be considered no longer valid, or you have access to healthcare, right? Like, so do I. Yeah. And and it's not a good recruitment tool. Yeah. You scare people. Don't scare people. You write this line in your book, Good Enough Now, we must connect for us to feel like we matter. We must connect for us to feel like we matter. And I love that you frame your book not around differences, but at least this is how I read it and understand it. You, you don't frame it around differences. You frame it around you know, sort of this deep, commonality this deep human commonality of needing to matter right like we we are all and that's what the shouting's about right like the shouting is uh, i need to shout right now because i don't feel like i do matter i don't feel like i am noticed heard understood or valued i think i'm getting that right anyway but uh, this this line we must connect for us to feel like we matter you know i pulled that out of the book and and 
was just restruck by the simple truth of that and obviously how it how it plays with the work that we do right like like all I'm trying to do is spread this simple idea of human connection in the hopes that if we could just connect better you know the rest of it'll start to fall into place a little bit more smoothly but talk about mattering for a minute would you sure and what what I think is really fascinating if we're talking about connecting with people and those kind of things is that so much diversity work is outside of us. It's this external collection. And even if we use the word connection, we talk about like finding them, Hmm. gathering a menagerie of difference, right? Like, look at me. I have all these Girl Scout badges. I'm a good one. And what is important about mattering is that it's singular work. And and if, if you read the sentence intentionally, it's to feel like I matter. Nobody can make me feel anyway. So I, re- I tried really hard to reduce this down to direct individual work that ain't nobody can do your own work. Like the idea of being a people person, the idea of being socially excellent, the idea of building communities and organizing and building ideas and concepts, none of it matters if you have not done your own work. It looks cool, leads to cool t-shirts, makes people feel at home, but in order for me to feel like I matter, I have to do my own individual work. Yikes. Let's go back to yelling. Yeah. Yeah. That was easier. <laughs> Yelling was easier. There's a, <laughs> I was, I was watching your, like, uh, your speaker video today on your website and just refamiliarizing myself with some of your jokes because I like them. And you've got the, I think that video leads with the one of like the Ghostbusters joke, right? Like the, the lady, the lady in the original Ghostbusters movie when they, mm-hmm. uh, when they, when they get a phone call that they get a, they, they get a ghost, <laughs> like she hits the buzzer and she's like, we yeah. got we one. Got one! And, and yeah. you, you make the joke that uh, that that's uh, that's how most most organizations do diversity work. <laughs> like, yay, we got one! I don't yeah, know. I, I say that to say before we started the the recording, I said let's not make this an interview. Let's just make this a conversation. And so far, it feels like an interview. So let me see if I can make it more like a conversation. I got work to do. Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like our company uh, and and the work that like I've done as a leader in our company, like I sort of do that. Right. Like I'm, I'm hoping to be able to hit the buzzer and say, Oh, we got one. Like, look at us being more diverse, being more inclusive. And I'm finding reasons to justify the fact that we lack diversity, that we all, we've got, a, we've, I've got a company that many of us come from uh, similar backgrounds and look the same and, and have some of the same privileges. And I know I got work to do, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I've got work to do because I, I also start to realize that my pool of connections, the people that I know, is the same. I, I got the same problem, right? Like I got the same. Pro- I, I can talk a good game, man. I, I I got good social justice language. I think I can do that pretty well. But I got work to do, and a lot of that work is the things that I make a priority, the people that I choose to reach out to or not, how often I choose to stay in my comfort zone socially, uh, how much I'm willing to engage with folks that are outside of my comfort zone or outside of my normal circle of friends. Anyway, I'm saying I got work to do and I'm I'm wondering if you find yourself, I know you well enough to know your answer already, but do you find yourself also having work to do still even though this is your work? 
Nah, I'm pretty done. No, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I made it like one beat without laughing. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> um, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> I am a disaster. <laughs> So, but what what I think is really key, and I don't feel like I'm being interviewed at all. I feel like this is totally a conversation, so maybe I'm screwing it up. But I think that what's so fascinating about the we got one, oh my gosh, what do I do, right? So, like, let's, I've done a lot of work with your company, and I love y'all to death. And there is so much diversity within what I call the <laughs> calendar of good-looking, intelligent, well-dressed people, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> there's there's obviously a type, right? And when I dated, I had a type, too, right? Not that you're dating your employees. Bad combo, bad yeah. timing. But what's fascinating is, is that you have to do both. One is take a moment and recognize the diversity that exists in what appears to be a pretty homogeneous group. Yeah. Because not everybody's actually the same, right? So specifically when I've done work with you and your coworkers, et cetera, like the experience around class mm-hmm. almost always comes up at the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? So some people may be raised significantly upper class and then now they're on their own for the first time. This, by the way, is my story. And I distinctly remember... I remember feeling like I wasn't upper class because I had friends that were richer than me, right? Because they had like three car garages and I only had a one car garage. Mm -hmm. They went on fancy vacations. We divided up Texas and went on road trips for vacations. Therefore, I am not rich. So we draw conclusions based on our experiences of other people. When I was living on my own, my parents had passed away. I was out of graduate school, first job. I got paid $14,000 a year. I lived on campus, so I had a meal plan and free parking and free housing. Even that is really privileged. $14,000 is not a lot of money, but it, it's a lot better when you have all everything in your life taken care of by your job. Yeah. So it is important to understand the existing diversity, even in the most homogeneous group. Yeah. There are other folks that were raised poor that are now grappling with having more money than they've ever had in their entire life. And what does that mean to them? And there's the people in the middle who watch those two extremes, don't necessarily know why or what is happening, and they haven't done their own work around their own money story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really important piece. The Annie Potts, and I like to do a shout out to her and the movie, the original Ghostbusters, because it was completely overlooked by the Oscars. But when Annie Potts slams down, we got one. Most organizations do that because that's how we, and I'm pointing to myself, old school diversity trainers told them you are successful. Here is a Scantron. Please check as many boxes as possible, and they it's ideally best if it's visible difference, because now you visibly do not look like a homogeneous group. And what's fascinating is a visibly diverse group can also be incredibly homogeneous. You have to be able to do that work from both places, and it's not about 
acquiring. It's about creating a space and a culture where people feel like they get to be full people. That's a cool line. I'm sure you use that, but uh, it's not about acquiring. It's about creating, right? And that's why there's always work to do because once you acquire something, you have it, you put it on a shelf. If you're creating something, you're never done creating. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, I'm struck by, I don't often say the phrase, you know, social excellence is internal work. Certainly I don't say it in the, in the way that you talk about, you know, your message as internal work, right? Like that this isn't about acquiring, it's about creating and maybe even creating within yourself, right? Like creating who you are and how you approach the world and how you connect with or don't connect with other people. Anyway, that's a, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by sort of this, the internal work as opposed to the external Scantron checkbox. How many, you know, how many of the diversity, you know, stars do you have in your organization or in your group or even in your friend group, right? Like, anyway, that's, that's fascinating to me. I don't know yeah. where I'm going with that line, but. Uh, well, and to, I'm going back to something else that you said too, that's important. So, so let's take living primarily in a white neighborhood. Yeah. So you and I both identify as white. And we, though we live in different neighborhoods, conveniently, I think we both, it's safe to say, live in predominantly white neighborhoods. Yep. Okay, so then if I then notice, or perhaps someone is telling me that I don't live in a diverse neighborhood because I don't have different, different folks who identify in different ways than white racially living in my immediate neighborhood. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. So let's look at the possible responses. I'm going to pack up and move to a predominantly not white neighborhood. Okay, number one, what? Do you know how many books I have? I don't want to move. <laughs> okay, number two, that's called gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> like Now you're the problem even worse. Right, that yeah. community <laughs> don't want you there. Yeah. And then the best part is the liberal progressive folks that are on my team move to a predominantly neighborhood of color, buy a house, who knows who used to live there. Then they worry about property taxes and property values, et cetera. And they put a Black Lives Matter sign in their front yard. Yeah. So things are complicated. So instead, this is what ends up happening and why your book is so important. And for years, how, how old is this book now? It's like six years old. Yeah, I think so. Six. Yeah. Yeah. Six years I've been screaming at you guys, but if you notice, yelling is not a good recruitment tool. <laughs> so I've been screaming at y'all that you don't understand what you wrote here, right? So everything is complicated. And the way diversity training often works is if we take this neighborhood example, right? Is that I make you move. I make you feel bad about where you live. I make you screw up some other neighborhood. Or I then make you just really focus on how segregated and oppressive the housing system in the United States really is. All of that is good work. But until you do something about you and noticing, well, I don't have a lot of people in my life who don't identify as white. Look around at your neighbors. Well, they're probably not very helpful in me trying to figure this out. You don't then go find someone that you identify as a not white person and say, hey, we have to be friends. I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to acquire people who are different than me. What's your name? Come over to dinner. That's weird. That's called tokenization. 
that's strange. Yeah. This is the big question for me. Like, what's the goal, right? Like, all right, so if I'm, I'm going to try to, I want to be a better, more inclusive, more, more socially just human being. Like, as an individual, I want to be better at that. How do I know? Like, if I can't just check the boxes, what is the, uh, what's the measurement? How do, I, how do I know if I'm going there? That's a great question, and you stumbled right into the answer. The check boxes are important because it's stuff to think about. And who didn't even get a checkbox, right? So Van Jones came and spoke at the Humboldt State. I live in Northern California. And he came to speak. And one of the things that he said that just slayed me is that super progressive people who want to do better have really only gotten better at tearing things down and deconstructing them to the point that we can't build anything anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you handed me the Scantron, the first thing I'm going to do is notice what's not on the Scantron, right? So yeah. now I'm, I'm being critical and that makes me feel better. Yeah, that's actually not a solution. <laughs> that's not helpful. So you don't have to throw everything out. My key is to notice. And I know that I sound like I'm being paid to promote your book, but I have been saying this for six years. You can't notice your own behaviors without being curious about yourself, without being generous about yourself. Can I can I also say that like I'm not I, I don't think I agree with you and I don't think you can notice your own behaviors without engaging with others about the big stuff. Like I, I think I think we learn I, I I should say I'll use my language here. I learn best about myself in the way that I interact with or don't interact with other people. <laughs> like that's the that becomes this like this human thing, right? Like this this thing that makes us human is in the interaction, in the space between. When we collide with other humans, that's when I learn that's like the only chance I have to really learn about myself. And then I can journal about it later. But like it's in that moment and then the struggle of it, in the success of it, in the in the stretch of it, right? Like that's that's the only place I think I have a chance to learn. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, I think you're right. But here's here's the other piece of it. So when you and I collide, what happens is is that my pain becomes your learning curve. Mm -hmm. Your pain becomes my learning curve. Yuck, right? But so, so what ends up happening is, is that we want to speed it up so that we're not causing more pain or we want to speed it up so we can get our learning done. Yeah. So, so when you were talking about measurement, I think that that's a really key piece is that's the piece that needs to be dismantled is that it isn't a winning, it's a creating. So you're not going to get four stars and an A plus and mm. I keep waiting for like a band to show up my front door and tell me how awesome I am. That doesn't happen yeah. because as as soon as you've nailed something, you're horrible at something else. Yeah. Yes. Um. So it's it's like dusting, right? So some people would say the best way to dust is to never touch anything because then you don't notice what's dusty. Yeah. But that's everything is dusty then, right? So when you start picking something up and you can see the space that it left, you clean around it and you put it back down. You do it to something else and you still have to repeat the process. But it's it's the noticing of the work. It's the sweeping of the porch that you know is going to get dirty again. That's doing the work. That's the messy, yucky, gross stuff. 
and know that every time you make any progress, you are have left something out behind. And if you take away that you're looking for recognition or reward, then that doesn't feel like a punishment. That's a, uh, there's a lot in that for me. That was, that was personal for me. I'm not sure why exactly I'll process it later, but there's, there's something about like, I think that I've, I think that subconsciously or maybe partially consciously, I've been, I've been hoping somebody would pat me on the back for being a socially just white, straight, cis guy, right? Like, oh, yeah. hey, you're, you're an okay one, right? Like, like I'm, I, I think I'm waiting for that blue ribbon and like, I, I, I shouldn't say I, it's not like I actually think I'm waiting for that, but like the the way you just described that, like, oh, I feel like maybe I have been waiting for that. <laughs> I feel like, uh, but, but I, I think that I don't think that that's unique, and I, I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen. And I think that those of us that live primarily privileged identities that have senses of power that we didn't even necessarily earn, they just kind of like landed in the right place. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think about, um, I'll turn this to being a U.S. citizen. I magically was born here. Who knew, right? Yeah. I had no choice in the matter. Here I was born. So when I go outside of the United States for work or vacation or something like that, I want to not be an obnoxious American. (laughs) How obnoxious is it that I'm asking somebody else to like carry an invisible metaphorical ribbon around to bless me as a not obnoxious American. And then let's pretend they do. I'm going to be super obnoxious about that. (laughs) Yes, you are. You can put a great big flag on your backpack. That's (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to figure out how to put the blue ribbon on the back of my shirt so that when I'm snorkeling, people can still see it. Yes. Yes. Notice oh. that's the problem. Mm. So let me let me try to boil this. I, I I don't want to boil it down. I want to ask you to boil it down. Like you, you you I have conversations like this more than the average American, I would guess, right? Like I, I'm plugged into the higher ed world. I'm plugged into people like you in my life. I I've got a network that has uh that has pushed me to be inclusive and to pu- has pushed me to do self-work. And I think most people don't have that, right? Like most people in their regular job, their regular life or whatever I'm calling regular. <laughs> like, I, I just think most people don't have access to that level of push and that level of education, to be quite frank. And so when you do this work with lots of folks, what are the most simple like pieces of advice you give to help people be better at connecting so that others feel like they matter like what's the what's the advice that you give well i mean it doesn't matter how many ways i say it or whatever i still have to just re-give it all the time and that's practice for me to occasionally hear it right so Hmm. if we keep the academic scantron test available the answer is in the blue book not on the scantron this this is not a fill in the blank multiple choice true false Ah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Question, right? So one thing that you didn't name about yourself that I think is applicable to a lot of people and not me is you're a parent. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Not brave enough to do that. Mm -mm. Nope, (laughs) not going to happen. So what's fascinating to me as my friends continue to breed and acquire children is the the practice of the self-reflection 
of genuinely trying to figure out how to keep this living organism that was born with a soft spot and no teeth alive. Yeah. Some people have the opportunity of doing that with someone else who may have completely different ideas of how to keep this thing alive or more than one thing. That's the weird thing is my friends who have more than one child, they have decided to do it again. What? Okay. How am I going to keep this thing alive? Party of one work. This is what I would do. That is completely fueled and dictated by your own experience as a kid and your own experience with other people as parents. So then if you're fortunate enough to have somebody or many somebodies to do this with, they could have completely different approaches. So you got to figure it out. And sometimes people develop a whole new approach until it gets hard. And then it's like the one that's up, right? Like (laughs) this is what we're going to do. And then as soon as that is done, I think I call this the meeting after the meeting. So as soon as somebody, the kid is rewarded or punished for something, then the meeting after the meeting are the caretaker parent kind of people being like, what do you think about that? How did that work out? What should we do? What should we do next time? I don't know. I think sometimes this is what leads to the additional kids. Well, let's, we screwed that up. Let's <laughs> try, try again. <laughs> but that's it. But the problem with kid number two or three is that they're never a lone kid again, ever. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I'm not a parent. I am a, an anthropologist watching these people, right? Mm-hmm. Then throw in the dynamics of the dreaded other parents, the other moms, the other dads yeah, in the neighborhood, on the internet, at the same school, right? Like it is a warfare out there. Yeah, It is not encouraging for people who might be contemplating children if they dip their toe into this world. Mm-hmm. You you are creating people like me who are like dogs is about as much life form as I can support. <laughs> so 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 this makes me this like begs the question for me. All right, so I'm going to do self work. I'm going to try and be as good of an example to my kids. You know, I got two little girls and I'm going to try to be a great example to them. You know, if you're leading a a 30-second educational session for my kids, Mm -hmm. what's the question you plant in their mind? What's the the advice or what are the three steps to becoming a a good, inclusive, socially just, you know, human being as they grow up? What's the, what do I tell them? You know what I mean? This is a fabulous question and I've never been asked this question before. If I could do this without causing, can you guarantee I don't cause any harm? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I can't guarantee I don't cause them harm like when I feed them macaroni and cheese. No, I, I there is no guarantee with kids. That's why that's right, why you're but, afraid. <laughs> right. But this is this is a hypothetical sure. on an interview okay, over the okay, internet. Okay, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So guarantee this hypothetical conversation is not actually with a child. Yes, guarantee. What I would actually say is everyone you look up to and everything you think you know actually has no idea what they're doing, but they're trying to do the best they can with what they've got some of the time. Good luck. That is a fantastic piece of advice. I don't that know. is what I would say. It, it, and it would be soul crushing. Yeah. Oh, you know? so true. Like yeah. now when I hear that, it's like, it's hope filling, right? As a 40 year old mm-hmm. man. But like, if I had heard that when I was eight, like, what do you mean? They're my heroes, yeah. right? <laughs> so, like, so, but so, but he, now we go back to contentious topics. So, 
you are looking, thinking about your daughters, thinking about you as a parent. Yeah. I'm thinking about the U.S. Constitution and what the concept of democracy means. <laughs> uh-huh. Is it the same? Is it the same? It's thing? exactly the same. <laughs> everything you look up to, everything you think you know, yeah. is just making it up, generally through consensus, maybe, and... It's it, it is a, a, an amazing success that it actually hasn't exploded, right? So I have faith in democracy. I have faith that democracy is the better way of running a collective group of people. Not the best, but better. I've lived in some others, and I vote democracy. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in order to for democracy to work, I have to have faith in democracy. And in order to have faith in democracy, I have to believe that us as like a tween aged country is going to figure out what to do with itself. And countries that are significantly older than the United States have been through this, if not far worse, if not far better, and figured it out as a country how they're going to do their thing. Yeah. Parenting, samesies, samesies. Yeah. So I'll take this, you take that. Deal. Right. Deal. Deal. Yeah. Jess, let's pick this conversation up another time. Oh my gosh, that would be great. Over chili dogs again. Over chili dogs, that would be great. Over layered nachos, over any unhealthy food choice. That's up to you. That is up to you. But we'll see each and other soon. Maybe next time my car won't get towed. Oh man, that's a fun story to share for another time. I agree. Uh, that was in, that was Denver. We, you, we were eating chili dogs. Your car got towed. We ended up making a cool friend at the at the impound lot. Really socially you know excellent folks there. Why? Because we're people people. And we are people people. And this is the People People Podcast. Jess, will you tell people, the people people, uh, how to find you? What's the website you want them to go to? You got what you got social media handles? What do you care about? What do you want people to know about you? That's a lot of questions. So my website is goodenoughnow.com. If you're interested, you can go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S, and download a bunch of free stuff so you don't even have to buy the book. I do have some, I'm using air quotes, social media handles. (laughs) Um, Most social media sites sound like venereal diseases to me, but in order to stay connected with the people... I do not have a Snapchat because that actually does sound like something dangerous. Yeah. But I do have an Instagram now. And I'm 44, so I will be on Facebook. And I also have the Twitters. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the Twitters once in college. It uh, it doesn't last your whole life, so it's fine. I had I had the Snapchats yeah. once in high school, yeah. but that, that was different. Yeah. Goodenoughnow.com. <laughs> hey, everybody should buy Good Enough Now, the, the book. You you should absolutely buy it. It is mm-hmm. a fantastic book. And what I love is that it's uh, it's kind of subliminal social justice training, right? Like yes. uh, that's, that's what I love about you, Jess, is that you are able to have difficult conversations, conversations that scare the bejesus out of people, uh, but you're able to have them in fun ways. You're able to ha- to approach approach it openly. Uh, and with a full invitation for people to engage with you. And, and that is what social excellence looks like, I think. I think that's why people listen to the People People podcast, because they relate to that and they want to be like that or they feel like they are like that. And I think that's fantastic. 
Jess Pettit has been our guest today on the People People podcast. Thanks, Jess, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. See you around. That was a fun interview. Big thanks to Jessica Pettit. Again, goodenoughnow.com is where you can find out all about Jess. Thanks for joining the People People podcast this episode. Uh, I love those conversations because I never know exactly where they're going to go, especially with Jess. But I've got other people in my life like that, too, who are just smarter than me, who are doing incredible work, who are out there pushing boundaries and who aren't afraid to talk about the hard stuff. And that's that's what I hoped this episode would be. And I, I kind of think we got there. I hope you found something, a little nugget, a little moment from that episode that will help you look at the way that you approach other people differently and the way that you understand ideas of inclusiveness, diversity, and social justice differently. Uh, I don't think it has to be scary, uh, but I do know that it scares people. And I also know that it's important. It's important that we dive into these big conversations. I hope you have a chance to sometime soon. Thanks again for joining the People People podcast. Until next time, stay social, stay excellent, and you know, keep connecting with people, people. <laughs>